Section six of The Diary of a Country Parson by James Woodford. Read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1764, January 2nd. One farmer John Major dined and spent the afternoon here. Mr. Cross sat drinking with him from ten in the morning till eight at night. January 8th. I dined at Mr. Sanford's, a parson, at Walford, with Mr. and Mrs. Sanford and about ten of Mr. Sanford's children. We had a very elegant dinner, and in a very noble, spacious parlor. January 9th. Breakfast at Mr. Cross's. After breakfast, Mr. Cross and me settled matters, and I paid him for my board fifty-nine days at the rate of one shilling one and a halfpence per day. January 12th. After breakfast I rode upon cream to my curacy at Babcury, about six miles from hence, where I dined upon a sheep's heart that I carried there in my pocket at the parsonage house, where I am to be when I go to Babcury on any occasion. January 15th. After breakfast I went upon cream to my curacy at Babcury, where I read prayers and preached, read prayers in the morning and preached in the afternoon. This is the first Sunday I ever officiated at Babcury Church, and I like it very well. I was rung into the parish by Mr. John Bower's order, who gave the ringers a pail of cider on purpose to ring me into the parish. They gave me another ring this afternoon after service, and for which I gave them two shillings sixpence. January 21st. Breakfast and dined at home. After dinner I set forth for Babcury, where I supped and laid in the parsonage house. I hired Ned Dyke and his horse this morning to carry some cider, etc., to Babcury for me. I carried three dozen and nine bottles of cider, and eight bottles of strong beer, with a little jar of pickled oysters, some cheese, and some cold tongue to Babcury, all which were given by my father. February 4th. Went this afternoon from Babcury to East Charlton, which is about one mile, to Parson Gapper's, to thank him for serving my church at Babcury for me last Sunday, and there I drank tea this afternoon with Mr. and Mrs. Gapper. They pressed me very much to sup there and spend the evening, and lay there, but I could not. February 20th. I have been very busy all this day in planting my peas and beans and radishes and Spanish onions in my garden at Babcury. I was sent this afternoon to a poor woman that lives by the church to come and pray by her, which I did. He goes to Oxford on February 27th to determine for his degree. Meanwhile, Parson Gapper carries on at Babcury. March 26th. I churched a poor woman at Babcury yesterday, and she gave me sixpence, which I sent to her again. Mr. Gapper has been so good to serve my church for me during my absence, and I sent him yesterday a genteel note to thank him. April 14th. Went to Parson Gapper's this afternoon at East Charlton, about one mile from Babcury, to desire him to administer the sacrament for me next Friday being Good Friday, which he promised me he would. I am to serve Keenton for him about a mile. I spent a good part of the afternoon with him and his wife and children, and one Miss Curtis of Shepton Mallet, their relation, a fine lady. April 16th. I brewed a quarter barrel of ale today. 
I gave Mary Creech, the old woman who looked after him at Babcury Parsonage, and her daughter a pair of garters each which I bought of an Irish traveler that came to the door, and for them I paid sixpence. April 30th. I got up this morning at two o'clock to get or make a sermon for Farmer Bertlett's funeral this afternoon, and by twelve o'clock I had finished almost all of it. I buried Farmer John Bertlett this evening at six o'clock and preached a funeral sermon. The church was exceedingly thronged with people. He received ten shillings sixpence for this sermon on May 6th from Mrs. Bertlett, the widow. May 9th. One Miss Moore, a very giddy, merry, but very pretty girl who was lately inoculated, dined with us at Ansford. June 14th there is a small dispute about payments for Babcury curacy, and one, the Reverend Mr. Hopkins, proves to the diarist that for certain early weeks in 1763-64 the payments are due to him, Hopkins. Everything is settled amicably, and the diarist notes, I never saw so bold a man in my life as Mr. Hopkins is, and very droll he is. I thought I must have burst my sides by laughing and hearing him talk. On June 18th, the diarist and his sister Jenny sup at Mr. William Mellier's, Councillor Barrister Gapper at Wincanton, among others, being of the company. On June 22nd, he gives a bachelor's supper party at Babcury, and his guests played at fives in Babcury churchyard this evening, and I lost there with Mr. Lewis Bower at betting with him one shilling sixpence. The gentlemen pleased me much by seeing them so well pleased with the homely entertainment. On July 28th he inducts Mr. Richard Cheese, who seems a very good kind of man and much approved of by the parish, into the rectory of Babcury. Mr. Hill, the old rector, had died, hence the change. Mr. John Bower is to rent his tithes, etc., and is to give him per annum one hundred pounds. I am to be his curate, and to have per annum, besides the house and stable, gardens and Easter offerings, the sum of thirty pounds. Mr. Cheese's home was at Bentley, near Alton, in Hampshire, where he returns on July 31st. What that good bishop and great historian Bishop Burnet described in 1708 as the scandalous practices of non-residents and pluralities were unfortunately marked features of the eighteenth-century church system. The practice was not confined to the ordinary clergy, the worthy Mr. Cheeses of the church. Bishops were offenders on an almost princely scale. Thus Bishop Watson, 1737-1816, of Landaff, speaking of his income, says, The provision of two thousand pounds a year, which I possess from the church, arises from the tithes of two churches in Shropshire, two in Leicestershire, two in my diocese, three in Huntingtonshire, and all of which I have resident curates, of five more appropriations to the bishopric and two more in the Isle of Ely as appropriations to the archdeaconry of Ely. Note, Anecdotes of the Life of Richard Watson, Bishop of Landaff, Volume 2, page 349, 1818. This statement occurs in a letter of the bishops to the Archbishop of Canterbury, dated May 18, 1808. 
but bishop watson uses his own case as an example of the evil pluralities made necessary as he points out through the disendowment of so large a part of ecclesiastical property at the reformation he does not however suggest any going back on the past but a thorough reform of church finance an exceedingly able letter End of note. This bishop paid occasional visits to his diocese, but actually resided in the Lake District. Here he says his time was spent partly in supporting the religion and constitutions of my country, by seasonable publications, and principally in building farmhouses, blasting rocks, enclosing wastes, making bad land good, planting lodges, etc. By such occupations I have recovered my health, preserved my independence, set an example of a spirited husbandry, and honorably provided for my family. His agricultural experiments were indeed of scientific utility. Bishop Thomas Newton of Bristol, whose account of his life is not only historically important but most entertaining, held the bishopric of Bristol and deanery of St. Paul's at the same time without the smallest qualm of conscience. Bishop Newton, however, until he was an old man of seventy-two, resided a considerable part of the year at Bristol, and laments that his example was not followed by the dean and plebendaries, who were shamefully neglectful of their duties. But we should obtain an entirely wrong notion of both these bishops if we merely regarded their lives from this, the pluralist aspect. Both were men of marked ability. Who devoted a great part of their time, as so many notable eighteenth-century bishops did, to theological and political writing. They regarded their episcopal pens as more important than their episcopal crooks, and in the circumstances of the age in which they lived there was much to be said for this view. Note. Deists, theists, atheists, Socinians, Unitarians, with all these the Church had to battle for the whole basis of Christianity was questioned. The philosopher bishops Berkeley and Butler preeminently held the Christian fort. End of note. Bishop Watson was admired by such different men as Gibbon and Wilberforce, and he was one of the few Anglican clergy who opposed the policy which lost us the American colonies. I had made, he says, anecdotes of the life of Richard Watson, Bishop of Landaff, Volume 1, page 71. No scruple of everywhere declaring that I looked upon the American war as unjust in its commencement, and that its conclusion would be unfavorable to this kingdom. As to Mr. Cheese, the non-resident rector of Babkery, we should note that the diarist's remark that he seems a very good kind of man and much approved of by the parish. August 18th. I have made a promise to-day concerning a certain thing in eating, which every time I break that promise I pay one shilling. August 19th. After the afternoon service, Babkery, I went with the Captain, Rook, to Parson Gappers at East Charlton, where we spent the remaining part of the afternoon with him and his wife. The Captain went afterwards to Somerton, and I returned to Ansford, and the first news I heard was that poor Miss Millie Cheech, a niece of Mrs. Cheech's, was dead, and she died about eleven o'clock this morning. 
I hope to God that she, poor dear creature, is happy. I believe verily that she was good to everyone but herself, and I am afraid that drinking was her death. September 11th. After dinner I went to East Charlton to have my testimonium for priest's orders signed by Mr. Gapper, who did it, and at the same time I desired him to serve my church for me on the ordination Sunday, which is the twenty-third of this month, and which he promised me. I spent this afternoon at Mr. Gapper's, with him, his wife, and his brother from Shepton Mallet, Dr. Gapper, who is an apothecary there. Mr. William Mellier and his wife sent their comps to-day to all our family, and desired that we should dine with them to-morrow upon a fine haunch of venison. October 4th. Drank tea this afternoon at Mrs. Clark's. With her, Lady Powell, the Bishop of Wells' daughter, who has two children inoculated by Dr. Clark, and Jenny Clark. Dr. Clark was the diarist's brother-in-law, being married to his sister Sobieski Woodford, and the inoculation which he practiced on an extensive scale, he had a special hospital for the purpose, was inoculation of the virus of smallpox. Inoculation of smallpox as a preventative of that disease was introduced into England early in the eighteenth century, mainly through the influence and example of that remarkable person, Lady Mary Wortley Montague. Note, for a brilliant portrait and account of Lady Mary Wortley Montague, 1690-1762, see Lee Hunt's essay in his Men, Women, and Books. The League of Nations Union would do well to issue as a separate leaflet Lady Mary's remarks on war. Quote, I cannot think we are older when I recollect the many palpable follies which are still almost universally persisted in. I place that of war as senseless as the boxing of schoolboys, and whenever we come to man's estate, perhaps a thousand years hence, I do not doubt it will appear as ridiculous as the pranks of unlucky lads. Letters, Volume 3, page 141, Lord Warncliffe's edition. End of note. It was fairly widely practiced and was generally successful in its effects on those inoculated. It came, however, to be regarded as a public danger owing to the fact that, through lack of precautions, the inoculated persons were apt to infect those not inoculated with the virulent smallpox. So, far from abating the scourge of smallpox, inoculation was held to have increased it. At the end of the eighteenth century one-tenth of the population are said to have died of smallpox. It was then that Jenner made his great discovery of the value of the inoculation of cowpox as a preventative of smallpox, and practically freed the civilized world from its most mortal enemy. To return to the narrative, the diarist is becoming increasingly anxious about his mother's health during October, and on October 30th she and his father set out for London to see a specialist there. On October 29th he enters this simple prayer. O oh, Almighty Lord God, let it be thy good pleasure to restore my dear mother to her former health. But if thou hast otherwise decreed it, not my will but thine be done. He is left in charge of the house, October 20th, with all the keys, and I will take great care to be faithful in the trust committed to me. On December 4th he marries his first couple at Ansford, an old farmer widower of eighty and a widow of seventy. 
December 8th. Had a very satisfactory letter from Papa this morning to inform me that all the danger is over with Mama. Thanks do I return most unfeigned to Almighty God for it. December 24th. The new singers came very late this evening, and they sung a Christmas carol and an anthem, and they had cider as usual and two shillings. The old singers did not come at all, and I have heard that they have given it over. December 25th. Fifteen poor old people dined here, as usual, being Christmas Day. We had for dinner today a large rump of beef of thirty pound roasted, and three large plum puddings. Fine beef it was. End of section 6, 1764.